So tonight we're in 1 Corinthians 14. We'll do a little bit or a little bit of a survey of the whole of the chapter. But the only part I'm going to read and use for our exposition are verses 12 through 19. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 through 19. You know anything about this section of Scripture? It's about the assembly. Why Christians assemble together. When you go to the book of Corinthians, you can read about what happens in the church. And it gives you the most detail of any other book in the Bible, by far. 1 Corinthians 11, you read about the Lord's Supper and Communion. And that is based on the institution of what Jesus did on the night of His betrayal. We go to 1 Corinthians 14 and we, all, we read all 40 verses there. We read of preaching and singing and prayer. We read about the decency and order that goes on in the assembly. When we get to 1 Corinthians 16, we have a mention there that on the first day of the week that they gather together collection. What we see here very simply are what we often call the five acts of the assembly. You could break it down different ways. You could say that singing is, um, excuse me, reading is separate from preaching. And we might be able to split hairs a little bit more than that. But when it comes down to it, generally speaking, that's what we see are these five acts of the assembly. But let's think about this a little bit further. What the Bible says on this matter. When you open the scriptures, you're not going to find anywhere in it that calls the assembly worship. Or calls it the worship assembly or the worship service. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I am saying is we want to make sure that we're not focusing and saying that the whole of the assembly is only about this. The assembly is about worship. But we're going to see tonight, one of the other things that it's definitely about is edification. Edification means to build up. Literally in the Greek, the same thing, meaning to build an edifice. We're building ourselves up as the temple of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And how are we built up? Well, we're not just simply lifting each other up in the sense of encouragement. That is a part of it. Over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, we read that we assemble together to stir one another to love and good works. So this is what the assembly is for. Here in 1 Corinthians 14, the emphasis is on edification. We go to other passages and we read about singing and giving thanksgiving to God. We might go to Hebrews 2 and verse 12 and see that, that praising God and worship is a part of the assembly. It's when we gather together with the Lord. It's when we stir one another to love and good works. And so I really like to just refer to the assembly as what it's called in the Bible, the assembly, the gathering, the congregation of the saints. Because then we're not excluding anything. We're recognizing the fullness of what we're here for. Which brings me to a big question tonight that I hope that you will think about. Is why do Christians assemble? I know I just kind of gave you a summary of it and answered it before we got to it. But why do we assemble? I think a lot of people don't know why. Oh, it's for worship. But I can worship at home. Why do I need to come here? Oh, I can be educated. Well, I can go on YouTube and listen to my favorite preacher or some others, somebody else talk about the Bible. I can go home and read my Bible. I can be there with my family. Why do I need to be in the assembly? I can be encouraged by others and stirred up by others, by my neighbors, my friends who have a similar faith than I do. Why do I need to be a part of a congregation and be in an assembly? And I think, as I was talking to Garland right before we came in here, I said, I wonder why so many people who claim belief in God and belief in Christ don't assemble. They see no significance in it or no value in it. And yet we have in the Bible a command. And I think on the basic form, on a very fundamental level, we stick to that command. 
Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together, as is the custom of some. Hebrews 10, 25. And I can't say that you're forsaking if you were to miss once or twice. But if you're just leaving it behind, the idea of forsaking there and not being a part of the congregation, not being part of the congregation gathering together, then certainly there's a problem there. The Bible warns us in Hebrews chapter 3 about not being there to encourage one another. So when I look at that question again, why do Christians assemble? I think, I think we see that there's a problem there. Something's not connecting. And many people in the world, and many nominal Christians, immature Christians don't get it. I mean, we can reason our way out of it. And I've heard people say, well, I can worship out in the boat. Well, I'm fishing. I'll take the Lord's Supper out on the golf course. And I've heard all kinds of crazy things like that. But when we open the Bible, we see God wants Christians to assemble together. And it all comes back, I think, ultimately to our, our mission is to make disciples. You can't make disciples any other way. And I think we've also seen over the last year that teaching children at home over the Internet doesn't work very well. So many of them are failing. And so you might want to, you could think that way, well, I can do it that way. But what we've seen is that in person in the presence of one another, those relationships, that bond, that community, well, we need it. We need it in school, and we need it in the church. Let's read here from 1 Corinthians 14, 12 through 19. I'm going to draw some observations here. Some things to think about that are important, especially for us who are leading in the assembly, or who will lead in the assembly, that we know what's going on here. All right, Wyatt? All right, I want my boys to listen to you. So this is what we're going to read right here. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 through 19. He says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit. You want these gifts from the Holy Spirit. He says, Strive to excel in building up in the edification of the church. You work on this. You strive for this. And I, I think about that every week as being a minister. I want to make sure that what we're doing is edifying. Our singing, our prayers, the communion, communion needs to be all according to God's Word. It needs to be edifying, helping us. We need to strive to excel in it. What's it mean to excel? Think about that. We want to make sure that this is beyond clear, that this is profitable and needed for your own nourishment as a Christian. Look at verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue shall pray that he may interpret. And if you read it in context... He says there's multiple tongues in the world, meaning multiple languages. This is nothing like some kind of spiritual tongue. They have the ability to evangelize and share the gospel in different languages, but some of them are coming into church and doing it, and it's not right. He says, if you're going to do that, you better pray for interpretation. Look at verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. In other words, you're saying these things, but you're not really thinking about them, and you claim that it's prayer, and it's the words are only just going to God, and nobody can understand it. Keep reading. Look at verse 15. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will pray with my mind also. Yes, my heart needs to be a part of it, and my mind when I worship, when I pray. I will sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing with my mind also. Both the spirit and the mind are to be a part of worship. How is the mind to be engaged in our assembly, and our worship, and our praise in the edification in teaching and all these things it comes back to words 
words that are understandable. Look at verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Better to speak five words that people can understand than to get up and just speak a bunch of gibberish or to speak in Latin or to do whatever you're trying to do that a lot of churches have tried to do before to make themselves seem much more spiritual. Here's some other observations here. I'm going to kind of fill this in with the rest of the chapters so we can think about this on a deeper level. This is what we just read here. In the assembly, Christians are to seek to do what, again, builds up the church. That is, by the words of God and edification. Our words of worship and edification in the assembly, they must be with the spirit and the mind. It must be about my heart and from what I'm thinking. I need to think about what I'm saying. Secondly, understandable words from God are what builds up the church. Understandable words also Help the unlearned. You notice that there in the text? I'm going to come back to that. He mentions an outsider, the unlearned, coming into the church. Should we be welcoming people who are unbelievers into the assembly? You know what this text teaches us? Yes. We are to bring in unbelievers. We are to bring in those who are unlearned. We are to speak in a way that both edifies the church and is able to instruct anybody who's coming in. All these things come together. And we want to speak in a way at which people can say amen. This is the only reference in the Bible to someone being in the assembly, hearing the preaching, and saying amen. Okay? It's in that context. So the words are being spoken, and for someone to agree with what is being spoken, they can say amen. You know what amen means? Jesus used to say it a lot, and if you use the older, like American Standard 1901 translation, in the Gospel of John, Jesus will say amen, amen. In our translation, it says truly, truly. In other words, what amen means is this is true. This is right. And so how can we do that? We we are, in 1 Corinthians 14, tells us to weigh what's being spoken. Right now, you should be listening to me and saying, well, is he saying what is according to God's word? You know, you can distinguish whether my observation is wrong or my opinion has gone too far, and you can cut it out and remove it and correct me on it if I am wrong. But I want to think about those things. And again, what we also saw at the, saw at the very end there, the Christians are better to speak five words with understanding, with understanding than 10,000 in a foreign language. What, what, church, what church would speak to one another in foreign languages? Well, this church here in Corinth, we already knew they were divided and they're having problems, but indivi- people are coming in claiming to be more spiritual. And they're doing these kind of things. And Paul corrects them. He says, listen, even lifeless, soulless musical instruments teach more than you speaking in a foreign language. And that's in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 7 through 9. He calls them lifeless and soulless. It appears there that this church doesn't use them in assembly. But these things, he says, to their own shame will do more than just speaking that way. Another thing that stands out to me is if you go to chapter 14 and look at verse 24, the apostle anticipates that there are going to be guests 
that they're going to be the unlearned, that they're going to be even unbelievers. And if you speak words that are rightly edifying, then you can convert people in the assembly. That's what's taught there. He says, how is it if you don't speak in a way they can understand that they're going to fall down on their knees and worship God? He's talking about an unbeliever and outsiders coming in and saying, truly God is among you. You can look right there and read it for yourself at chapter 14, verses 20 to 25. So, as I think about this, I'm often thinking about our assembly. We want to make sure that the words we're saying are according to Scripture. We want to make sure that our songs are biblical, our prayers are biblical, and especially the sermon, the preaching is biblical. It's right. We want to make sure that it's edifying. We want to make sure that those who come in here and hear it say, I need to come back. I heard more truth there than anywhere else. You know, and I hear that a lot. I hear that when people say, I went to this church and this one, but when I came to the church of Christ, I heard the truth. And they kept coming back. If Patricia were here tonight, and she's not the only one, I've repeatedly heard, heard that. We want to make sure that we continue in that. Before we conclude tonight, I want to think a little bit further. Because the assembly is for edification, there's something else that the apostle goes on to stress here. Because there's divisions, people are wanting to talk at the same time. They're wanting to butt each other out. That'd be a disturbing church to be a part of, wouldn't it? But here he says that you are to speak two or three, two or three, whether you're speaking a revelation, that would be scripture or teaching, or a psalm, there would be two or three. It appears to me that they probably had more than one song leader. And then they were to speak one by one. They were to do it in order. You know that passage, often we quote this and not think about the verses around. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. I hear that all the time. I hear people quote it. But rarely, I don't actually, I almost never hear anybody quote it in the context of the assembly. Because that's what he's talking about. The assembly is not a place of confusion. It's a place of edification in the words of Christ. And when you go down to verse 40, if you've got your Bible open there, look at the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 40. You know that passage too, that all things are to be done decently and in order. What's he saying? That you speak in your time when it's in order, one by one, and you speak with clear, understandable words. And as Christians, this is what we should endeavor for in the church. Now, there are other things we could talk about tonight. We could go to Hebrews, but we're not in Hebrews tonight. We could talk about stirring one another to love and good works. I think we definitely need that. We could talk about the need for praise and worshiping God from our heart and to worship in spirit and truth and go over to John chapter 4. But tonight, I don't want to think about, again, edification. Think about the words of God, what we're singing, what we're praying, and make sure that we always mean them. Make sure that anytime we have somebody coming in the congregation, they get the right thing, that they are hearing the truth. So what part do you have in the edification of the church? I've been thinking about this recently. I often get to stand up front. I know our song leaders do. And not everybody sings. Not everybody sings. And I'll tell you right now, the Bible commands you to sing. It doesn't say, if you have a beautiful voice, then sing. It doesn't say that. The Bible says sing. And you can sing in harmony, and you can sing low, because you know you're not the best singer. You can sing, lower your volume. Um, Best thing to do is sing in harmony with one voice. Just sing. Just say the words and sing the words that are coarse, that are edifying and according with God's word. If you're leading prayer, 
Think about the words that you're going to say. If you're going to lead singing, think about the songs that you're leading. Make sure that they're in agreement with God's Word. And if you're going to speak, speak the Word of God. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Let's do what God wants us to do. I hope these things are helpful to you, edifying, to think about what would the Apostle Paul encourage churches today to do? I think it would have been the same thing back then as the Holy Spirit has speaks through the apostles. This is it. Make sure that your assemblies are edifying, that you're worshiping in spirit and truth, that you're stirring one another to love and good works. Is there anybody tonight that needs to obey the gospel, to put on Christ in baptism? You can do it. If there's anyone this evening that needs prayers, we encourage you to come now. Let's sing together.